morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles? We're in Genesis 9 this morning. Genesis 9, 8. Then God said to Noah and, his son, and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you. So remember, they basically come off the, the flood and now they, you know, they came out of the ark and God's talking to them pretty much for the first time saying, I establish my covenant with you and the descendants after you with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. So again, I want to reiterate, we believe the word of God here at this church. So when it says all the living creatures on earth came out of the ark, that's what we believe. And we've talked about how all the different animals could fit in there. And, and, and you know, he's not going to take the, the huge animals when they're adults. He's going to take the baby animals, you know, that type of stuff, and how they could all fit in there. So um, all the animals on the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by waters of the flood. Never again will there, will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between you and me, or me and you, and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it's a sign of the covenant between you and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And you see... It's a reiteration. It keeps repeating the point. This is, a, um, this is just the way it's written. This is a, there's an English word for it, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it keeps repeating it to make a point here. He goes on, it says, whenever a rainbow appears in a cloud, and you're like, well, didn't you just say that? Yes, he's saying it again. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind of the earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant, I have established between me and all the life on the earth. Seven different times God talks about the covenant. It's not like God has to remind himself, oh yeah, I got a covenant, oh yeah, I got a covenant, you know. It's not like a child going, oh yeah, mom told me to do this, or dad told me to do this. This is God. He knows it. He's repeating it for us. If God repeats something over and over and over then I would think it would be important for us to understand, wouldn't you? It's like, I mean, how many of you are parents? Parents, right? Have you ever repeated something? Have you ever repeated something over and over and over? You want them to understand. This is God wanting us to understand here. A covenant is a promise to do or not to do a certain thing. And we talked about covenants a couple of weeks ago. This, is a, uh, this covenant is the first one in the Bible that actually has the words covenant attached to it. All the covenants have some type of sign attached to them. With, you know, the Noahic covenant, this one is the rainbow. And the Mosaic covenant, uh, uh, the you know, one with Moses, Moses, it was the Sabbath. And the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. And the new covenant that we live under, uh, along with the others, is, is water baptism. Now, what is a sign? In the Bible, there's, there's two different types of signs when he uses that word. Um, it, you know, one is a miraculous sign. And anytime you see the word signs and wonders, that's what we're talking about here. One is miraculous. It is some type of miracle pointing to something. This is why, you know, this is why Jesus' miracles were signs to us. Because they pointed to him as being the Messiah, as being the, the Son of God. For us, what, what kind of sign do we have? What kind of different signs do we have? Well, one is marriage, right? Ring right here. 
Now, if I take off my ring, does that mean I'm not married? Some men, some women go to bars, they take off their ring, and they act like they're not married. But are they still married? Absolutely. This is just a sign of the covenant that we make. That's important for us to understand. Outward symbols that show that we've made a covenant. Bible covenants are divided into two categories. Conditional. Conditional is between two parties, like a marriage. I marry you, you marry me, I, we all say yes, we're, we're happy as can be, at least on this day. And then we move forward, and then we work through those things that make us unhappy. But you're making a covenant between two parties. There's also unconditional covenant, which is one party. I don't care what you do, I'm making this covenant with you. I'm never going to break this covenant. And that's the type of covenant that God has made with you and I. I am not going to break this covenant with you. On, uh, you know, it's very uncon um, unconditional. God promises never to destroy the world with a flood again. It's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on what we do. And the sign for that covenant is the rainbow. It's interesting, the Hebrew word used for, uh, for the word bow here is a bow that is used in battle. It's almost like God took the bow and hung it up. You know how you hang a bow? Do you hang it by the string end, you know, at the top with the string? Joshua, you do bows. Do you hang it like that? No, you mess up the string. You mess up the bow. How do you hang it? Well, you have two hooks. You're supposed to do it. I don't know if Joshua does it like this. But you're supposed to hang it with the top, you know, with the curved going up. And that way you hang it with two points. That way it doesn't mess up the bow. It's like God was hanging up his, his hunting bow in a sense, his, his adversarial bow. No arrows attached to it. The battle's over. Treaties are usually made after war. When you're embarking on peace. And this is like God judged the sin and he made peace with it at this point. Now we'll see how quickly sin took back over the world again because we still have that sin nature. But it makes God to, you know, make another, another covenant later that will lead to the righteous age of God with man. The new covenant would be universal, in other words, offered to all humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall have everlasting life. You notice how I jumped back to the King James, you know, because that's how I learned it. John 3, 16. God made the new promise that he himself would fulfill. Nothing we had to do for God to keep that covenant. There's nothing that we have to do. All we have to do is enter that covenant by faith. God loves to use signs. We see the sign in the sky when Jesus was born, right? It was a big star, right? Everybody follows. That was a huge sign. Jesus not only saved us from the judgment of sin, but also saved us from ourselves in many ways. War, hatred, violence, prejudice, peace between individuals. You may say, well, when I look at the news, I don't see that kind of stuff. I don't see God saving us from war and hatred and peace and all, all that. And my response, well, then are we acting like Jesus? See, if we would act like Jesus and follow Jesus more, then these things would dissipate. These things would go away. If you're becoming more like Jesus, then you become the catalyst, a great catalyst for peace individually. Think about this. Who can you not stand now, don't linger on that too long, but you know there's somebody, and hopefully they're not sitting right next to you, okay? We're, we're praying for that. That is who Jesus is trying to get you to have peace with. Hmm. 
Now, it doesn't mean you have to go out and hang with them every time and all the time, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that is who Jesus wants you to have peace with and not to be warring with. This is why the churches are, are, are doing the Tulare United, and that's what it's all about, bringing the Tulare churches together to say, you are my brother in Christ, you are my sister in Christ, you are not the enemy because you have another church down the street, and I love you because of it. Jesus Christ satisfies our sin to God, and sin was paid for and allows us to be, you know, allows us who are dead to be alive again and be able to offer that to other people and have peace between other people. Genesis 9, 13, it says, I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Every time we see a rainbow, we should not think about what the world is trying to turn the rainbow symbol into nowadays, okay? And I don't have to go into it. I think you understand what I'm saying. But in Isaiah 59, or 54, 9, God connects the Noahic covenant with the new covenant. He says, to me, it is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I've sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who had compassion on you. Now, some would say, well, this was written to the Jews. What does that have to do with you? But Paul would say it was written to the true Jews. And who are the true Jews? See, even Paul talked about this. There, there's two, in a sense, there's two types of Jewishness. There's the bloodline of Jew. You are a Jew because you have Jewish blood in you. Okay? That would be saying the same thing for me. I have Indian blood in me, so therefore I'm an Indian. Do I look like an Indian? No, I don't. I have a little minute part of Indian within me now. So that's one way to be a Jew. But also, the true Jews are God's children, and we've been adopted into God's family, so therefore, we as Christians are Jewish Christians. The faith of Abraham and those who are believers, that's new covenant language. God made an everlasting covenant with Noah, and just as he makes an everlasting covenant with us. Noah walked out of the earth, or onto the earth, and for a little while, he was a righteous person and lived with righteous people. That's the precursor of what will happen for us. Because when we get to heaven, and God makes the new heaven, and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, we go in there, and only righteous people are allowed in there, so therefore, we won't have the same issues that Noah had on the earth that led back to sin and all those things. It'll be completely different. In Genesis 9, it's the first time we see the rainbow. And this kind of reminds me of, of Revelations 10. Revelations 10.1 says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like a fiery pillars. This is a picture of Jesus. They were talking about Jesus, and it's showing what he was like. Uh, you know, where once there was a crown of thorns, now a rainbow is going to be over his head. He's going to be presenting that, that he is the everlasting God that's not breaking the covenant. The article uses, a, or, or the original language uses a definite article here. And what that means, it's called the rainbow. And he's talking about the rainbow. Okay, he's not just talking about rainbows, a rainbow. He's talking about, no, no the rainbow, 
the covenant that he made, the token of that covenant. Well, back to Genesis and Genesis 9.18, it says the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. They were, three son- they were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who scattered over all the earth, or the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, in other words, a farmer, he became a farmer at this point, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, this is the first mention of drunkenness in the Bible. No doubt others had been drunk before, but this is the first time that, that uh, it's actually mentioned here. And the reason I believe that the Holy Spirit is mentions it right here is because it is Noah who gets drunk. Noah, the righteous one, the one that God said, you and your family are going to be saved. You go out there and preach the world. Anybody else comes, they can be saved too, but you are the one that I've chosen because you're a righteous man. And Noah is getting drunk. It's important because it brought consequences that affected everyone. Now, people can make all sorts of excuses for Noah's, and I've read all sorts of things, you know. Something happened to the plants, you know, with the, with the earth and, you know, with the earth being flooded, everything changed a little bit. So, so you know, now the plants are a little different and, 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 you know, it made them drunk where he, you know, he used to drink that same stuff and it didn't make, you know, whatever. I mean, if you believe that, I got some land I can sell you, okay? I mean, no one knew what he was doing. Can't say, oh, it was just one night, honey, it's okay. Well, that one night can cause major problems. Not to mention, if you drink around your young ones, they start to believe it's normal. And studies have shown the younger you are around alcohol, the more it becomes normal, and the later on, the more problems a person has with it. Next week, we're going to talk about the reaction that Ham had out of this. But for now, let's look at what the Bible says about eating grapes and drinking wine. Now, depending on how you grew up, in church, out of church, the style of church, the denomination. Maybe it's the same denominations in two different locations. I mean, like Texas and California. I, I've mentioned this before where in Texas, if you, know, if you had a beer in your house, you were a heathen, period. No question about it if you went to my church. If you had wine in the house, I mean, you're right there on that edge. I mean, you're like on the side of the cliff. And then I move out to California, and we have a you know, staff Christmas party, and the pastor brings a bottle of wine, you know, and I'm looking at my wife, do we even have, do we own a wine opener? I don't know, I've never, okay, you know, it was very different, grew up differently. Now, many Christians have decided not to drink at all, okay, that's a wise choice, I'm not going to, you know, bag, bag on somebody who, who has made that choice, that's a good choice, but if you do drink, is it a sin to drink? No. The scriptures do not say it's a sin to drink. In fact, it talks about Jesus drinking wine. It talks, I mean, he turned water into wine, right? And that's always excuse. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. So therefore, you know. No, it's not a sin. So whether you drink or not, that's a personal conviction. It's not scripturally driven. Now, back then, grapes, wines, raisins... Those were an important part of their diet. In the Old Testament time, wine is considered a blessing from God. If you go and read Psalms 104, uh, you know, 
14 and 15, and, and it talks about wine being a blessing from God, and Deuteronomy 14, 6 talks about that. Wine is even used in sacrifices to God in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 28. So let's get off the whole thing of, well, the Bible's, uh, da, 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 you know, no, it doesn't back it up. Obviously, it doesn't, con- you know, condemn the use of wine, but what does it do condemn? Drunkenness. Drunkenness in many places. Let me give you a few. Proverbs 20. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Think about that a a second. This is huge. If you drink a lot, guess what? You're not wise. And that's not Alan saying that. That's not the pastor saying that. That's the Word of God saying that. If you drink a lot, you are not wise. What is, what is wisdom? It's having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So you're not using good judgment if you drink a lot. If alcoholism runs in your family, you shouldn't be drinking. That's wisdom. That's recognizing, hey, you know, my family, I've seen this, this, and this. I'm not even going to go anywhere near the stuff because of what I've seen it can do. That is called wisdom. Solomon went on to say in Proverbs 23, 29, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? He's talking about those that are, that are drunk here. In other words, you know, I mean, it's a depressant one. It causes strife because, I mean, how many, I don't want to say that. I was six and eight. How many of you have been in a bar and you've seen a fight? But I don't want to go there. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, right now with, I mean, with, with our phones, I mean, these things are great, right? You get videos all over the place. People, you know, getting drunk, hitting people and all that kind of stuff. Now it's on YouTube versus before it was just kind of a, a thing that a few people knew about. Now everybody can know about it. Those who linger over wine, who go to uh, sample bowls of mixed wine, in other words, (laughs) well, let me go on. Do not gaze at wine when it it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it goes down smoothly. I I read this, and I I just think, because we used to live up in the Bay Area, and all the the wineries, and everybody going, you know, the the testing. You've got to watch it, swirl it, smell it. Certain glasses for certain types of wine, you know, I mean, you can really get into it. And, and again, not necessarily bad, but it can lead to something that is not good. Your eyes will see strange... Oh, wait, in the end, it bites like a snake and it poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. Now, that's a drunk guy right there, right? When I say guy, I mean, there can be gals, but I'm just saying Alcohol is a depressant. It lowers your resistance to things. People will say and do things under the influence. Now, you can, we say alcohol. You can take any, any medicine, any drug, anything like that. Marijuana at this point that's now legal. You know, I always said I would never. When they passed that law in Colorado, I was like, man, I, you know, I had this dream of, man, Colorado's a beautiful place. If I could ever you know, move again, if God moved me somewhere, Colorado would be a great place. And then they pass that law, and I'm like, oh, God, forget about that place now. And now, California. So, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I'm thinking, how am I going to raise my kids when people are out there going, oh, this is legal? 
Well, it's legal in a civil way, but is it legal in a godly way? You see my point? It's not wise to get drunk. It's not wise to get high. It's not wise to do these things. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, you see all over the news, somebody things go too far between men and women when they're drunk. Okay? Whether it's forced or not. I'll just leave that alone, but you know what I'm saying. can go too far. Leads to debauchery. I say be under the influence of the Holy Spirit instead of alcohol. This is where the fruit of the Spirit you know, includes joy and peace. So much better than the artificial joy you get from drinking. Now back to Noah. It teaches us a lesson here. The one thing of Noah. I mean, think about how, well, we'll go into his age here in a second, but, but no one is immune from the power of temptation. Sin can be devastating and has consequences. Noah is a righteous man who royally screwed up. He was blameless and he walked with God and one decision really messes things up. In 2 Peter 2.5, Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. Now, it's not easy when we see our heroes fall, is it? We put people up on pedestals. That's why it's not a, you know, it's never a good thing to put people on pedestals. Put people up on a pedestal, and when they fall, it can have an effect on so many different people. I mean, you can talk about Christian leaders that have done this, and you're like, him? No way! I mean, this is why, uh, you know, Billy Graham, whether you like the rule or not, he always had the rule that he never met with a woman alone, period. Never had a conversation with another woman other than his wife alone, period. He always had other men around him. Why is that? He didn't want that temptation to take him. He was wise enough to know that, that he didn't want to fall because of that. He wanted to stay righteous in that area. And again, is Billy Graham perfect? Absolutely not. He's a man just like you and I. He's a human being. He had sin. He just didn't want that sin to be a downfall for him. We're prone to fail, and God uses others to warn us about that. God uses a lot of pastors to warn us about that. That's what the sermon is, a warning when it comes to that type of stuff. He also uses it to encourage us. God uses people who have fallen down, doesn't he? God uses people who have messed up. This ought to be an encouragement to us that no matter how far we've gone, if we come back to God, God can still use us. Maybe in a different way, maybe not in the same way, but God can still use us. James talks about how Elijah was just like us. And when we read Elijah, we see how God used him in mighty ways, in great ways. God uses us and wants all of us to serve him. See, it's about God, it's not about us. God usually chooses nobodies to do his work because it's about God. Now, if man had written a Bible, or if I sat down and wrote, you know, the autobiography of Alan Orr, there's a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't include, right? And there's a lot of stuff if you wrote about your life that you wouldn't include. And we go, well, God, why did you include this kind of, I mean, terrible stuff about certain people? Well, God wants to show us that he uses imperfect people for his purpose. Men and women who loved and served the Lord that God can still use. 
In Hebrews 11, the, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, we read about all of them, and, but we see their flaws when, when, when we read the Word of God. We see how David messes up. We see how all these guys mess up. But God sees them differently. He sees them as redeemed individuals. So the first lesson that we can learn from Noah here is that anyone can sin. The second lesson is that you're never too old to sin. Never too old to deeply affect your family and friends and and the lives of those around you. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. That means he walked with God for 600 years as a righteous man, faithfully following God. Not perfect, still sin, but he followed God faithfully. And here Noah is not surrounded by sin because now the world is a righteous world for a little bit of time. He's not surrounded by sin. You know, all that stuff has been washed away, literally, and he sins big time. You know, it's interesting that it was easier for Noah to not sin when he had all the sinners around. But then when he was around by himself, he sinned without all that around. It's interesting. So what should we learn from this? We should learn what the Lord told Cain in chapter 4, verse 7. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. If you leave the door open a little bit, it is trying to get in. This is like my house. My father-in-law lives, he has a, a living room and a, and a bedroom, a kind of a master suite, and uh, has a door there, okay? Now, we have left it shut over the years. I mean, he still interacts with us. We don't shut him in, you know. But that door stays shut because during the winter, he'll keep it at 80, 85 degrees. You walk in there, you're like, oh! During the summer, he'll keep it like 80, 85 degrees, and you walk in there, and you're like, oh, you know. So it's kind of always stayed shut, but we've learned one thing, that if he walks out, he thinks, oh, I'm just going to walk out and say something to him really quick. But his really quick and our really quick is very different. You know, like, oh, I stepped through, blah, 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 come back. Okay, that's really quick. No, he's like, and then he's got to open the door, and then he's got to go through the door. So A lot of times you're thinking, I'm just going to be really quick, so I'm not going to shut the door. Or he'll shut it mostly. But if you leave that door open a half an inch, Grayson just takes off, boom, he's right in that room. He knows where the cookies are. It's Grandpa. What do grandparents do? They just feed them stuff that they shouldn't have all the time. You know, right before dinner, you want cookies? And we're like, no, you know, but Grandpa, I mean, that's what grandparents do, right? So, so man, that door stays open, and Grandpa's like, oh, wow, he's quick. I must have left the door open. And we're like, oh, yes. What do you mean you must have left the door open? Come on. Now, I'm not ragging on him. I'm using an example. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is little Grayson. You see what I'm saying? It's ready to attack. It's ready to get inside. It's ready to go through your stuff. It's ready to take stuff from you because it's three. Okay, well, anyway, I can only take that so far, you know. But age doesn't matter when it comes to sin. The young Christian will fall into sin more easily. 
for the most part. But a mature Christian can fall in sin because they're used to the walk and they forget. It's like a young person with a driver's license. Now, I don't understand this. When I grew up, you turned 16, you got your driver's license. So young people, get your driver's license early. I know people at 20, 22, 24 that don't have their driver's license. I'm like, California's really screwed you up, you know? But get your driver's license. But a young person that has their driver's license, they're very inexperienced, but most of them, most of them, are cautious, sometimes overly cautious. But the older you get, you have more experience, right? But you're not as cautious. You don't slow down as fast, or, well, (laughs) you don't slow down further out. Usually you slow down really fast because you slow down, you know, and everything goes sliding in the car, and you have to fuss at your son about putting stuff on the, okay, wait, oh, no, no, personal thing. Um, But you get, you, you know, you're not as cautious. You're comfortable. There's a reason why the, the word talks about having a childlike faith with God. Grayson is three. He doesn't stray far from mom and dad. Uh, you know, we, why is that? Well, we're his protection. We're his comfort. We're his feeders. We give him, you know, at least french fries and yogurt. Man. But as he gets older, like Brandon, starts to go out further. In some ways, Lisa and I are very happy that Brandon has a little brother and he's getting older. He's getting a little more independent. This summer, it was a little easier having Brandon around. We could get more work done around the house and, and with her job and, and my job, we, you know, without the constant interruptions. But at the same time, we miss him needing us so much. That's a picture of the Christian walk with God. And God is saying, be a little more like Grayson. Don't stray too far because sin is crouching at the door. You see how I use Grayson as both sides of that, you know? Noah sinned after he served 600 years after building the ark and surviving under God's protection of the flood. Never dropped his guard. It led to a major sin. And, you know, and Moses was the same way. He, le- he leads Israel out of Egypt across the desert, and the Lord didn't even you know, allow him to go into the promised land. Why? Well, as he was providing water through God to the people. He got angry at the people and says, Do I have to do this every time? And he strikes the rock. And God went, Whoa, you? You're making water come you know, out of the rock? No, 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 no. I'm using you. It's about me. So he got to go see the promised land, but he didn't get to go into the promised land. Sin can affect our lives. David, he sinned with Bathsheba when, when, when he was in his late 50s. We think of David as a young man when that happened. No, no, he was in his late 50s. How did it happen? Well, David didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. He was the king. He was supposed to be leading Israel. The army went out to battle, and David was like, Oh, I'm old enough. Let the younger people do that. I'm just going to stay in my newly, newly built palace. They just finished his palace. So he goes out there at night on the top of his palace, like many of them would do, you know, top of the, the homes. It was cooler at night over there and stuff. And, and that's kind of your living area, your living room in a sense. And, and he's out there and he looks down and, whoa, young ladies over there, you know, sunbathing, Bathsheba, wow, you know. 
He's bored. He has a lot of idle time now. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he was older. You know, it's interesting. Solomon walked away from God for a while and then comes back to God. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And then he came back. In Ecclesiastes 12, he talks about things that he'd learned. He says, remember your creator's your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. In other words, before you get older and kind of, you know, your eyesight starts, you know, I finally got to that point where my eyesight is still really good, but like I'm needing more light. And all of a sudden before I was like, light? Who cares about light? You know, now I'm like, can you turn that light on? I I need to see better. That's what he's talking about here. When you get a little older, remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. (coughs) What Solomon is saying here is, Serve God early in life, diligently. And then don't forsake Him at the end of your life. Stay consistent in your walk with God so you don't have regrets, so you're not going at the very end of your life going meaningless. Everything's just meaningless. Life ended up here? Ugh. You know, this kind of reminds me of my father. He served faithfully in the church for years. And him and three other gentlemen, you know, were in charge of the sixth grade department. And and you go and you talk to uh, kids my age and older. And and, uh, because right after I went through, this all happened and stuff at the church. But at my age and older, and you go to all my friends, and they'll talk about my dad. They saw a side of my dad. I'm sitting there going, wow, I never, you know, it gives you another picture of him, you know. And him and three men ran the sixth grade department for years at the church. And these kids, they would take them Christmas shopping, you know, to the mall, all the kids, so they could buy presents for the, you know, for their parents and their siblings and all that kind of stuff without them being around, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they taught diligently in the church and all that. And then somebody came to them and said, well, we want to change up what you guys are doing because we really don't think it's effective and we want to da 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 da, da. We want to change things. And that's always difficult when somebody wants to change the way things have been you know, going, uh, especially at church, because you take it so personal, you know. So three of them basically sat on the back pew with arms folded for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like the winter. And I'm not joking. Two of them, um, uh, two of them are passed away. Uh, out of the four, two of them are passed away, but two of them are still sitting on the back pew going. My mom talks to them all the time. I go home and I visit them and all that. And they're complainers. Never saw him complain when I was growing up. My dad took the other route. Well, if they don't want me up there, I'll... he started working. He started working and, and staying there and just and, and not coming to church. And then on his deathbed, he regretted that he didn't stay faithful to God. He even apologized to the pastor of the, of the church that he didn't even know the new pastor at the church that had been there for 10 years. He apologized to him because he didn't stay faithful. That's a warning to us that we're to stay faithful. Well, I better hurry up because we're running out of time. Paul said he wanted above all else to finish the race. 
You start good and you finish strong. This is my favorite word in the, in the New Testament, apokaridokia. It means stretch your neck out as you go toward the finish line. Stretch that neck out. Finish strong. Go for it. In Genesis 9.20, it says, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of the wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the, uh, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, but Sham and Japheth took the garment, laid it across their shoulders. As they walked in backward, covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned away, the other way so they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out that what the youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. Noah had a great life, but we're left with this ugly story. This is kind of the last story of Noah. How sad it came down to this. For two-thirds of his life, he was great, and a third you don't really hear about. We're left with this kind of negative feeling on this. He started strong, and this is what God wants us to do, is to finish strong. David started strong, then later in life he sinned with Bathsheba, and he was never the same. His passion was different. He sort of kind of lived the rest of his life in mediocrity. You know, when I was a kid, one of the rules that, uh, that we had was when the streetlights came on, we came home. You know, we'd be out there playing, and, uh, you know, a different age where parents actually allowed the kids to go outside and play. But, uh, you know, anytime the lights came on and the street lamps, we had to be home within five minutes. On special occasions, our parents would all come out, and all the neighbor's parents would come out, and we got to play spotlight. That's tag with flashlights. And we would climb up goalposts to hide. We'd climb all over the neighborhood, okay? And it was, it was a lot of fun. But anytime it was dark, we were practically inside. Why is that? Bad things happen at night. You look at the cameras up here, and you see the people that go through here in the middle of the night, and they go through and they try every door. Bad things happen at night. That's when robbery happened. I mean, there was a, a, a kid, uh, unfortunately, a teenager killed over here, um, you know, behind Walmart in, in the, the subdivision there uh, a couple of nights ago in the middle of the night. Bad things happen at night. Light shines into the truth. You can't hide, uh, you can't hide from the light. Sin happens in the darkness when we're away from the Heavenly Father. And I want to caution you, don't negate the good things of your life with one bad act. I'm trying to look through my notes to figure out what can I skip since we're, we're, we're a little late, but let me, let me just say this. Did you hear about the Wake Forest, Wake Forest basketball coach in New York? He was there doing something, he's an assistant coach, and somebody was leaving a wedding, <laughs> so the guy was dressed all nice and everything. He comes out, and he knocks on the window of this Wake Forest coach's car. He thought it was Lyft. You know, he thought it was one of the Ubers or Lyft or something like that. So he knocked on the window to basically say, hey, are you my ride? Well, the coach got mad, so I don't know what, I mean, something else is going on, but the coach got mad about it, steps out of the car, and just whack, nails the guy. The guy falls over, hits his head, and dies. Now, that coach is probably going to prison. Now, it wasn't premeditated, so it won't go for a long time, but talk about 
destroying his life. What would he tell his basketball uh, students? <laughs> what would he say to them? Don't do something stupid. It can change your life. Be home before dark, in a sense. Don't allow anything to ruin your reputation. We can all be forgiven, but the consequences of our actions, depending on the situation, can affect our family, our friends, and our children, because sin is crouching at the door, and we need to be ready to run from it. How do you keep falling, you know, falling into sin? You keep your eyes on Jesus. Like the, the movie quote, just keep moving, just keep moving. Just keep swimming. Okay, anyway, until I got kids, you know. I have some scripture here I'm going to skip, but let me just tell you. Titus 2.14, Galatians 6.9, Romans 12.11, Psalms 92.12. Talking about the righteousness of the people. Talking about bearing fruit in our older age. Let's not become weary of doing good. Let's keep our zeal before the Lord. And here's the difference between the, those who are planted in the house of the Lord and those who are planted in the world. Let me end with Psalms 1.1. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that, uh, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night that person is like the tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's be those that prosper. Let's not take the route of, of Noah and have something totally affect the, the, end of, the last third of our lives. So let's stay with God. I want to encourage you to finish the race strong. So whether it's alcohol whether it's something else, don't let anything take you away from God because sin is crouching at the door. And if you get it a half an inch, sin is in there going through your pantry looking for a cookie and other stuff. So, well, why don't you stand and pray and we'll skip the last song since we've gone so late. So why don't you stand and we'll finish up. Lord, we just thank you so much that uh, you put the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the wonderful, and the beautiful all rolled up into one into the Word of God. You show us examples of, of good men who have screwed up, good women who have made mistakes. Lord, you put them in there to show us, to, uh, to encourage us not to go their direction. And I pray that you allow the, the Holy Spirit to work in us, to warn us when we're going in a, in a direction that takes us away from you, that we would be open to that instruction. If somebody's convicted about alcohol or, or drugs or anything else, Lord, that you convict them even more. As long as it's coming from you, it's a good thing, Lord. That we would turn from those things and come back to you. That really it's not the act that's the problem. The problem is sin. The problem is Satan getting into our room and going through our life and destroying it. I pray, Lord, that you encourage us. You bring people around us to put us on the straight and narrow, put us on the right path. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. 
And may he help you turn and run from the sin if we see it at the door. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.